Welcome to The Good Life. I am The Good Doctor, a.k.a. the Thomas Pinchon of podcasting. Spring is here. The magnolia tree on my back porch is blooming after about two years of not blooming, a.k.a. dead. And I've had a lot of good uh, feedback and DMs come through about my investing episode. And it looks like I omitted quite a few uh, vehicles, uh, asset classes, and the questions uh, are coming fast and furious. So I'll just dive into those. The first one comes from Justin in Brooklyn. Uh, he says, good doctor, what about mutual funds and ETFs? Should I buy those? P.S. What's your favorite item on the Gian Famous menu? Uh, I prefer lamb dumplings. Thoughts? Uh, Justin, thanks for the question. I actually prefer N1, the spicy cumin lamb noodle. And you should not be buying mutual funds or ETFs in your brokerage account. Uh, with the asterisk of your 401k, you should be buying, you should have 100% of your assets in an S&P 500 mutual fund because likely your 401k will only have five, six, seven, eight, nine options. Um, all of those are mutual funds. So just put it all in the S&P 500 and let it ride. Uh, the second question comes from Dan in Anna Maria Island, which is in Florida. He says, good doctor, have you ever had mackerel ceviche? If so, what are your thoughts? Also, should I short? Should I buy options, trade options? Uh, what about commodities? Dan, thanks for the question. I've never had the ceviche. It sounds great. Uh, and you should not be trading options. You should not be buying commodities. You should not be buying gold. Uh, thanks for the question. Next one comes from Brian in Cincinnati. Uh, he says, good doctor, what are your thoughts on sleeveless black denim vests? It sounds like you love Norma Jean, Oh God, The Aftermath. What about Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child? Isn't, isn't that their best album? Uh, P.S. Should I day trade or sh trade short-term time frames? Uh, Brian, <clears throat> Brian, thanks for the question. Your vest sounds incredible. Uh, oh God, The Aftermath is the best Norma Jean album, and you should not be day trading. So I think the big takeaway from the investing episode is be a long-term buy and hold investor, buy those dividend stocks, hold them as long as they keep raising dividends above inflation forever. Uh, only sell your dividend stocks if they cut dividends, that's it, or if there's some massive sea change in their market, for example. Uh, if a study comes out that says Coke and Pepsi will kill you, which it will, then maybe you shouldn't own or buy Coke and Pepsi stock. On to today's episode. I want to touch briefly on those long-term bull markets that I've been talking about, namely how we are in a massive one right now. We're what ten years into a to a bull market, and there's some people saying we have ten or fifteen years to go. So, um, you know, as as these bull markets are fueled by pessimism, um, you know, when people think that the market's going to crash, when they have that 08, 09 market crash in their heads, uh, the market will just climb that wall of worry. So, um, I've I've never seen so many people today drive luxury vehicles that shouldn't be driving them. So many people that are traveling to crazy destinations, buying crazy cars, electronics, uh, insane dinners, insane bottles of wine, furniture. It's just fucking flabbergasting. Um, and that's how you know that we are in a mature bull market. But fuck, who am I to say? Like I said, this could go on forever. Um, the key is work on your 1% operating system, meaning be a one percenter but not in the traditional way. Be a one percenter in the complete opposite way. Embrace your weirdness, embrace your frugality. I mean, now's the time to be switching jobs, getting a better job, 
really increasing your salary or starting a new business or really doubling down on your side hustle, taking all the profits, all the extra money you're getting and tripling, quadrupling down on frugality and being tough. It sounds, it seems like now everyone is soft as fuck. They're way too soft. They're giving in. They have no discipline when it comes to spending. So the key is to do the opposite. So zig when everyone's zagging, as cliche as that is. Um, that's the way to win in this economy. So that's it. I also want to talk about what I'm into lately. What I'm eating, drinking, cooking, reading, all that fun stuff. I mean, a lot. there's been a lot of $10 wine I've actually been trying to find and seek out. And all roads are leading to France, Italy, a little bit of Spain. You know, when you're in France and you want the $10 wines, you have to go to the Southwest, the Languedoc, the Roussillon. You have to go to whites from Gascony, whites from Bordeaux. Uh, you just have to keep digging and digging. Uh, Spanish whites, really, really, really good, delicious, under $7. Italian reds all day long. Uh, Italy is the place to be. I mean, everything from Tuscany to the Southeast, uh, to Campania, to the islands, even up in Piedmont and some Northeastern Italian reds like Pinot, Falpolicella. I mean, just, there's, there's so much value in Italy. It's staggering. So aside from $10 wines, I've been in the blue cheese a lot lately. It's weird. Blue cheese is one of those anomalies in the in the food and beverage world. It never gets talked about. You know, just I guess the French eat a fuckload of it, but over here in the U.S., we don't nearly eat enough. I mean, I see I had this amazing amazing blue cheese from Spain last week. Uh, even the blue cheese from from the U.S. and California, uh, France, of course. Uh, Gorgonzola is from Italy. Uh, English Stilton. I mean, blue cheese is is the play. So get in that blue cheese sandbox and just toss it all over your body and throw it on your kids that are playing and just force your family to eat more blue cheese. Blue cheese is so good. You don't even need crackers or bread or anything. You just take a chunk of it with a knife and spread it on your bottom teeth with a knife. Just pair it with uh, you know sweet cherry, uh, palo cortados, uh, sauterne, port, uh, Darker beers, even fuck it. Just eat more blue cheese; it's delicious. I've been into uh, fast food fries with grilled steaks. Uh, I mean, after much debate in this group text, uh, the clear winner is is McDonald's. <laughs> it's fucking insane as that sounds. I know we're we're all a mix of highbrow and lowbrow, and uh, my brows are focused on McDonald's fries with steaks. And the key is just the timing. You just have to. Make sure the fries come back to the house essentially when the steaks and everything's done so you can just still maintain that crispness and then just uh, enjoy. Fucking Italy's, Italy's has been all consuming lately. It's, to me, Italy is the Italy's aspirational lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's what all of the people in, in, the, in the Western world aspire to. I mean, I, I think France is always there in parentheses, but I think the problem with France is you know, aside from the language and aside from the perception of the food being incredibly difficult to cook and, you know, I just can't, you know, quote, I can't cook that stuff in my house. I don't know the technique. I don't know the ingredients. And, you know, simple French food is really just simple fresh food. Uh, but I think, you know, Italy, Italy resonates with 
with more people in the West. I and mean, it's funny growing up in Western Pennsylvania, uh, just just outside of Pittsburgh, and all of the you know Italian American immigrants that were in in my neighborhoods and in my communities. The restaurants I uh, we, I would eat uh, buffalo wings and fried mozzarella sticks, which just sounds disgusting, but they're delicious. And I would get pizzas with fucking pepperoni sausage, bacon, and I always had stomach aches. <laughs> and that was fun, but I think Italy is, is somehow in my DNA, and not just mine, but everyone. I mean, look at those waving the Italian flag hard. I mean, and look at the recognition they're getting. For example, Missy Robbins um, of Lilia in New York City getting the James Beard Award for Best New Chef. Um. And in all of the U.S., you know, when she's she's cooking just straightforward, fresh Italian food. I mean, she's similar to Robert Bohr and his team over at Charlie Bird. And the great thing about those two and their restaurants is, you know, if you're ever struggling for for meals to cook at your house, just go to the website and they list all the ingredients in their dishes. So just look at the look at the menus and just riff on their ingredients. I mean, it's just basic technique. Uh, for example, Missy Robbins. She has a pasta with linguine, tomatoes, anchovy, and lemon. And I'll probably just replicate that dish next week. I've been looking forward to it. I'll just take about a third of a cup of olive oil, uh, melt down a tin of anchovies in there, dump in a jar of chopped de-seeded San Marzano tomatoes. I'm just not a fan of the seeds. I know Lulu at Domaine Tempier, she always loved the seeds in her, in her pasta. You know, most people do. It's personal preference. But she just hated the way that they felt between her teeth. <laughs> which I always found curious, but me personally, I can't do the seeds. So anyway, just add, add the San Marzano's to your olive oil and anchovy base. Uh, cook for maybe, you know, light, lightly salt cook for 10 minutes, squeeze in a little bit of lemon juice, toss with linguine and top with grated lemon zest. So simple, but really the essence of Italian cooking, really all you need. So just pair that with a Fiano or a Falangina from Campania or a rosé, and you'll have a delicious meal. So I think, you know, it, Italy is is incredibly undervalued and overlooked when it comes to wine, obviously, but the thing that fascinates me is the collectors coming from Burgundy going to Piedmont and everyone going towards Barolo, when in reality the play is Barbaresco. So if you're a collector of of wine and your budget's limited and you, and you want to buy a case and seller it for 20, 30, 40 years, go to Barbaresco and don't even bother with the single vineyard Barbaresco, but buy the, buy the blended basic bottles, everything from the Produttori del Barbaresco um, all the way up to the Bartolo Mascarello uh, basic bottling, with basic being about $120. But I mean, for 25 to 40, you know, buck 20 to high end, you can get world-class wine that'll go forever that can that can stand up against, you know, the best Burgundies and Kelly cabs of the world. So, um, you know, look for producers like, like the Produttori del Barbaresco, La Canova, um, Cascina de la Rosa. I mean, there's, there, there's a ton of these guys. Um, and you know, that is where your, your wine dollars should be going if you're spending over 20 bucks for, for long-term stuff. And then if you go a little bit further south into Tuscany, you want to focus on Chianti uh, from Rada, R-A-D-D-A, uh, producers Montevertine, their La Pergola Tortes, arguably one of the greatest greatest red wines in the world for about a hundred bucks, which is staggering. So, you know, stock up on some of that. There's a producer called Montera Pony. 
and uh, Felsina's Ranchia Reserva, which is a single vineyard uh, in Tuscany, is staggering as well. The wine goes for about $42, and recently Antonio Galoni posted it um, alongside you know, alongside massive burgundies and, and, and huge you know, f- other French and Italian reds. But he, you know, he said the 2006 Felsina Ranchia, R-A-N-C-I-A, has been a profound wine in, in, his, in his wine career. So I would just rush out and buy a case of that. I think I have two or three cases just in my wine cellar. Uh, that might be the best red wine value in the world next to uh, Bagione's uh, basic Brunello di Montalcino. So I-L-P-O-G-G-I-O-N-E, Bagione. Um, so if you just want to stock up on those from, from Chianti, you should be you know pretty much set. And if you really look, if you kind of just dig down deeper past all the, you know, the, the, the French wine, I want to call it a facade, but all of the, Everyone is gramming French wines. If you dig deeper and you look at Levy Dalton, Dan Petrosky, Talia Baiocchi, um, Alfonso Travola, Jeremy Parzin, uh, the smart money's uh, on Italy and Piedmont. So enough about that. One thing I've been doing recently too that really adds just the kind of an, another component to table is eating candlelight dinners. Just putting two simple, not, nothing formal or crazy, just two candles, three candles at table, either with your children or your spouse or your partner. It really brightens things up. <laughs> no pun intended, but uh, just kind of adds another dimension to dining. So do that. It's beautiful. I also noticed, too, that you're getting older when you text with your index fingers. I guess my phone is too small, or I could probably watch a YouTube tutorial on how to text with your thumbs, but I'm always texting with my index fingers. And I'll usually fuck up a word and enter, and it'll go through, and then I'll try to type it again real fast, and I'll fuck it up, and I'll hit enter. But I think maybe the thumbs might add a little more accuracy. I don't know. It's one of those weird things, one of those little subtle reminders that you're getting older, dude. Fuck. Anyway, I'll probably wrap it up there. Oh, yeah, books. I read Stoner by John Williams about two months ago. New York Review of Books put it out in paperback. It's only $10 since the hardcover is insanely difficult to find. What do they call it? Rarer than hen's teeth or a needle in a haystack. And it has like this yellow uh, dust jacket. Usually the spine is actually faded, but uh, it's one of those unicorn books. And um, if if you have it, just and you want to send it to me, I'll make you a big bowl of tomato anchovy lemon linguine, and I'll open some champagne, and uh, we can have fun. But anyway, the book is incredible. It's about a professor in the Midwest, uh, kind of his growing up, his his college life, his relationship with his wife and his child, um, which sounds really fucking boring, but it's really a perfect book, nearly perfect, you know, just the narrative, the sentence structure. I mean, every sentence just hits hard. Um, incredible, incredible stuff. So, And can you believe Harold Bloom has read 80,000 books? What the fuck? That comes out to three books a day for the last 53 years. 